We're going through the Old Testament. We're up to 2 Kings chapter 3. So if you want to follow along with us here, we're up to 2 Kings chapter 3. The Lord paused in chapter 2 last time in order to let us see his prophets, Elijah and Elisha, and to focus on them for a minute. But now in chapter 3, the Lord's getting back to letting us see the kings in the northern and southern kingdoms of Israel and Judah. So if you're with me in 2 Kings 3, we'll jump right into the passage here. In verse 1, it says, Now Jehoram, the son of Ahab, became king over Israel, that's Samaria, in the 18th year of Jehoshaphat, king of Judah, and reigned 12 years. Now the king of Jehoram there, he's in the northern kingdom, referred to as Israel, and then King Jehoshaphat, he's in the southern kingdom, referred to as Judah. But we're told this guy had a 12-year reign, so he was longer in, the, in office there, if you want to call it that, than his brother, who was only able to do two years. <clears throat> Excuse me. So as he mentions uh, this guy here, this is another evil king in the northern kingdom of Israel. And remember, in that kingdom, they never had a king that was not evil, uh, unfortunately. So this was another one of Ahab's sons, and we saw that Ahab was a terribly wicked king. So Jehoram was raised in a home where he had uh, not a good influence from his father or his mother. If you remember, his mother was Jezebel, and she was about as wicked as they come. So uh, this guy lived, had horrible influence as a child, spiritually growing up, along with the rest of his family. They were all basically anti-God. So uh, let's go on to verse 2. And he did evil in the sight of the Lord, which we said he's one of the evil kings of the north, but not like his father and mother. So there is a distinction here. It says, for he, <clears throat> he put away the sacred pillar of Baal, <clears throat> or Baal, that his father had made. Nevertheless, he persisted in the sins of Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, who had made Israel sin, he did not depart from them. So there was some evil that he put a stop to, but there was also some evil that he continued to practice. So the Lord gives us an interesting description of this guy. He put a stop to the worship of Baal, or Baal, that his mother had forced on the northern kingdom of Israel. So he did put a stop to that for a moment, uh, but he continued to practice the worship of the golden calves that Jeroboam had set up when he became the first king of the northern kingdom. Now this type of worship here was also forced worship, and Jehoram, the son of Ahab, did not depart from these calf idols, we're told. So he kept that false religion going and was a promoter of it uh, during his lifetime there, during this 12-year reign that he had. So here's a guy that gets rid of some of the evil in his life, and of course the people under him as well, he gets rid of some evil in their life, but he also holds on to some evil, other evil things in his life. And this should cause us to kind of scratch our head over this, I think. Apparently, you know, some people, they have this idea that if I can just clean up part of my life, then God should be pleased with that, <laughs> you know? <laughs> and why not just come to the Lord, repent of all sin, and get a clean slate and start over? That's a possibility. But like I said, some people think that if I just get a little better than I have been, then, then God should be good with that. 
But the Bible tells us that if we break one of the laws, then we're guilty of breaking all the laws, right? In James chapter 2, verse 10, it says, whoever shall keep the whole law and yet stumble in one point, he is guilty of all. So just reforming a person's life so that they're a better person than they used to be is not going to fly with the Lord. <clears throat> that doesn't get you points there. You know, and we, we don't need to reform. We need to completely die to our sins and be born again. So reformation isn't the answer. Rebirth is the answer. And that's what Jesus said. You must be born again. He didn't say you got to get reformed and get a little better, right? You must be born again. So this action of Jehoram here, removing the idol of Baal, shows that he didn't favor all of the evil influence of his parents. All right, so we see that it is possible to get away from evil influences. You know, each person has a choice whether to give in to evil influences or to deny them. So when it comes down to it, a person is responsible for their choices. We can't blame it all on our parents, despite what some psychologist or Dr. Phil has told you. <laughs> okay, that's not biblically accurate there. And another thing, the Lord puts different degrees on evil, and people are going to be judged accordingly. You know, since the Lord has perfect justice, when he judges someone for their sin, their punishment will perfectly fit their crimes. So this guy has done some better. I mean, he removed some of the evil in the territory, and he'll be punished, but he won't be punished for that part because he did remove it. His parents are going to suffer the full judgment for that one. So the Lord doesn't punish any more or any less than a person deserves. His judgment and his justice is perfect, okay? So uh, we see this guy does have a, a good side, is that he at least got rid of uh, the Baal worship there. Now, verse 4, now Misha, king of Moab, was a sheep breeder, and he regularly paid the king of Israel 100,000 lambs in the wool of 100,000 rams, okay? So when Moab had been conquered by Israel further back in Israel's history, Moab was put under tribute to Israel. So that meant they had to pay taxes. And the amount that they paid, we see right here, all of these lambs and all of this wool was what they apparently were required to pay being under Israel. So this tells us something, that the king of Moab here was a very wealthy guy to be pay, able to pay all these taxes, right? So verse 5 goes on, but it happened when Ahab died that the king of Moab rebelled against the king of Israel. And we mentioned that before in chapter 1, that when Ahab first died, Moab must have sensed a weakness at that point in the northern kingdom. So they took opportunity to rebel, which meant they stopped sending their tax payments into the northern kingdom. Now, if you remember, Ahaziah was the king at that time. He was the other son of Ahab. He's the one that only ruled for two years. So he was in charge when that happened after Ahab died, and apparently he didn't do anything to try to stop Moab from withdrawing under Israel. You know, it's interesting. We can understand kind of what it's like when you have a change in leadership and you go from having a weak leader to a stronger leader. You know, our farmer president bowed down to other countries showing a weakness, 
but our current president stands up to other countries and displays a real strength. So we've seen that kind of change in our own leadership in our recent history. So here at Moab, they sensed a weak leadership and decided it's time for us to take advantage of this situation and get out while we can. So that's what they tried to do. And apparently it worked for them for a short time until this next king comes into play who said, we're not going to lose anything. We want to get this back again. So verse 6, so King Jehoram went out of Samaria at that time, and he mustered all Israel. Then he went and he sent to Jehoshaphat, king of Judah, southern kingdom there, saying, the king of Moab has rebelled against me. Will you go with me to fight against Moab? And we see his response here, I will go up. Okay, that was mistake number one. And he said, I am as you are. And we looked at this last time he made that statement to somebody. And it's like, I hope you're not like he is, because this guy's an evil, wicked king. He said, my people as your people, and my horses as your horses. And if you remember us talking about that before, it's like, no. Israel, the northern kingdom, was evil. They were very worldly and everything else. And no, the, the southern kingdom was not to follow any of that. So they weren't to be like that. So for him to make these statements to kind of buddy up to him, it's like, man, what are you doing? You're not supposed to do that. So Ahaziah, the first king after Ahab, he let it slide, what Moab did by rebelling. But this new king, Jehoram, he decides he's going to do something about it. First, he gathers his own army. We're told that in verse 6 there is he, he goes and musters all Israel. So he's got his own army together, preparing them for battle. Then he sends a request to Jehoshaphat in the southern kingdom, and he asked him if he would join him in the battle against Moab. And we mentioned that before, that Jehoshaphat, he had a very sizable army, so there's nothing wrong with trying to get a little extra muscle here to help you when you need some heavy lifting to do, right? So that's not a, a bad move military-wise. And, of course, the best muscle you can get is to go to the Lord himself and ask him for help. But they're not going to do that right now. They decided they'll try doing it their own way, <laughs> unfortunately. So here we see Jehoshaphat making that same mistake that he made before. He decides that he's going to do this, make a choice to, to join up with the northern kingdom, and later on, he's going to pray about it. You know, and we said the right way to do things is to pray about something first before you make any decisions. Uh, we saw this principle a couple chapters back, and apparently the Lord wants us to learn it again. <laughs> so we see the same thing going on here. And, you know, there are some things that we need to be reminded of over and over again until they finally sink in and become part of us. And the Lord's doing that to protect us, right? And when we need to hear it over and over again, the Lord is very faithful, you know, to continue to bring that up through his word, the Bible, as we go through. So when we keep running across some of these principles, don't say, well, I already know that one. Say, Lord, if I need to hear that again, please bury it deeper in me. I need to get this down pat. And obviously we do. Prayer is something we seem to shy away from a lot of times. That's why I'm thankful we got Pastor Rich continue to push us to say, guys, pray, pray, pray. We need to keep, keep in prayer because uh, we do slip. As Americans, I think we got that against us. We uh, think we can do it ourselves. We were raised that way to say, I can do this. But the Lord tells us, you can't do anything without me, right? So we need to be in prayer. So verse 8 goes on. <clears throat> then he said, 
which way shall we go up? So here's the king saying, okay, if we're going to go to battle and I'm ready to go with you, do you have a plan? That's kind of what he's saying here. So which way shall we go up? And he answered, he had an answer, by way of the wilderness of Edom. So they had already come up with a strategy of how they're going to attack Moab. Now normally, if you look at the map and everything to see where they're located and everything, normally when people tried to attack Moab in the past, they would come at them from the north. And that's just what they were used to. So because of that, Moab had reinforced their territory in the north so they could hold off their enemies better. It just makes logical sense. But Israel now, they've decided to come in from the south through the territory of Edom. And that's why you see a mention, we're going to come through the, the wilderness of Edom here. Okay, And that looked like a smart move for Israel because they had good relations with Edom at the time. It would be a surprise attack because nobody comes through that way to come at them. And with Edom on, on friendly terms, they wouldn't have to wash their back or be afraid that maybe the Edomites are going to attack them too, so then they got another battle they weren't planning on. And uh, as time uh, passed here, we're going to see too, they apparently even got the king of Edom to join them in the battle. So uh, it all sounded good up front, but keep reading. <laughs> in verse 9, so the king of Israel went with the king of Judah and the king of Edom. So we got these three kings. And they marched on that roundabout route seven days. And there was no water for the army nor for the animals that followed them. So now we see why the armies didn't attack Moab from the south. I mean, for one thing, it'd be a longer journey. As it says here, it took them seven extra days to go that route to get around that way. So that's some extra wear and tear on your troops, especially if it's not necessary, and you obviously want your troops at their best, right, when it comes time for the battle. Also, because they were traveling through the wilderness, as it's called here, the wilderness of Edom, uh, there's no water supply around anywhere, okay? Now, I'm sure they brought water with them. But after they ran out of their own water, there was none to be found in the land. And, and not only did they need water for themselves, as we're told, they also needed it for their animals. Now, that's a serious problem that they're facing here. For us, it's like on some stretches of the highway that you've probably been on where you see this sign, there is no gas for the next 68 miles. <laughs> and that kind of lets you know if you run out of gas in that area, it's going to be extremely difficult for you to find a gas station close by. And if that sign would say, no gas for the next 600 miles, and your car or truck doesn't carry that much gas, then you had better sure how to pray before you go that direction, because <laughs> you're going to need some help. <laughs> say, Lord, I didn't know. I'm stuck now. Please help me. <clears throat> so they got some problems they ran into. Verse 10, it says, And the king of Israel said, Alas, for the Lord has called these three kings together to deliver them into the hand of Moab. So now he's saying, I know God did this. And now we're going to get wiped out by these guys. We got no water. We're already going to be dying out here in the wilderness. So the few stragglers that might make it through have no chance of fighting this army. So here's the king of Israel, for one, trying to blame the Lord for choices that he himself made. You know, doesn't it bother you when you see people do that? 
You know, they don't do things the largest way in the first place. And then when things go wrong, they're the first ones to blame the Lord for their problems. I know you've run into people like that if you've, you've talked to folks, because you hear that stuff, and it's like, are you for real? And now their king's plan has brought them all into this dangerous situation. If they can't find water, they are going to die, okay? And you can't turn back at this point because you won't survive that journey either. You don't have any water, right? So you're in a really bad place here. You're way over your head. So you have a couple options at this point. You could cry out to the Lord for help. And of course, that would be the wise thing to do. <laughs> or you could blame the Lord for your foolish decisions. And of course, that would be the foolish thing to do. So why are we not surprised when we see the evil king of Israel in the choice that he made? I'm going to blame God. I'm going to throw a curse at him, right? And we see a lot of these Jehoram types around still today, don't we? You know, they live very selfish lives, and they want nothing to do with the Lord. They don't pray to him. They don't do things God's way, but they're sure right there to blame God when things go wrong in their life. You know, so unfortunately, there are still Jehoram's around, right? But there's a very important principle we need to get here. When things go wrong, which they're going wrong for them right now, right? They're here in this place. It's like, what are we going to do now? we got no water. Uh, we want to fight a battle. We don't even have water for our animals, so we're in big trouble here. When things go wrong, here's the principle. It doesn't automatically mean that the Lord is against you. It most likely means the Lord is trying to get your attention. And man, that is a good principle to get. Because, you know, when, when stuff goes wrong, what's the first thing the enemy tells you? God did this to you, you know, God's mad at you or some kind of foolish stuff. And here, that has nothing to do with it. The Lord is going to eventually help these guys. So the Lord's trying to get their attention. And when things go wrong in your life and my life, and we might get to the point of saying, why is this happening? One of the things we need to consider is maybe God's trying to get our attention for something, you know. He cares about us. And he's trying to get us to do the right thing. And the chances are good. That's what the Lord is up to. You know, you might be going the wrong direction when the Lord's trying to get your attention. It appears in our passage here that the Lord was trying to reach this evil king again. And you know, as we see this, it's amazing. We see the grace of the Lord trying to reach out to these guys. It's like, wow, Lord, these guys are so wicked. They don't care about you at all. And yet God still cares about them. He's still going to try to help them. As, it, as they allow it some. So verse 11. So here he is, he just, the king of Israel has just blamed God, but verse 11 says, but, and this is one of those good places where you see that word, but Jehoshaphat, he had a different view. He said, is there no prophet of the Lord here that we may inquire of the Lord by him? So Jehoshaphat, he speaks up and he says, basically, we need to hear from the Lord. <laughs> you can blame God if you want to, but we really need to hear from him right now because what you're doing isn't helping at all. <laughs> so he finally wakes up himself, and he sees a need for prayer. And once again, it's kind of late in the ballgame to finally think about praying, but at least he's finally praying, okay? It's always best to pray before you get yourself in a mess, right? But thankfully, our God is so gracious, and any time is a good time to pray. 
Now, we do see a real big contrast between the evil King Jehoram from the northern kingdom and the good King Jehoshaphat from the southern kingdom of Judah. The one's blaming God, while the other one is wanting to ask God for help. Big difference between the two. And that, that's really a good picture of how true believers should stand out in this world. You know, I've heard a lost person ask a believer before when the believer was going through a very difficult time in their life. Uh, the lost person said, why aren't you mad at God? And they saw everything going on. And the believer answered and said, I never thought about being mad at God. I just want to draw closer to the Lord and I want, as I go through this, and I want to ask for his help, you know. And I'm sure a lost person doesn't get that. <laughs> They're like, why aren't you mad at God? And I'd love to see the expression on, on uh, King Jehoram's face too here as King Jehoshaphat is saying, let's try to seek the Lord over this. He's probably like, why are you doing that? Why bother? Who cares, you know? And see, if a person, they don't know the Lord, like Jehoram here, then they can't see a way out of the mess. They, they, don't, they don't have the ability to see their way out. They have no hope. And you see that in, in Jehoram. He's like, man, it's over. It's about time to curse God and die, I guess, here, right? So they don't have that hope. But a believer like Jehoshaphat here, who has a relationship with the Lord, and he knows the Lord, he knows there's a real possibility that there's a way out of this giant mess because he knows the only true God who's able to do the impossible, right? So he wants to go to prayer. Praise the Lord. Love to see that. And that is such an awesome blessing, you know, that we have a place to turn for real help too. When others are, are ready to give up, we know there's hope because there's still God, right? He's still on the throne. And we need to let people know that there is still hope when you're in a hopeless situation, right? Because there's a God who can do the impossible, and we happen to know him. You know, you've probably been in a hopeless situation before yourself or a scary situation before and when you turned to prayer, God showed up, right? And then he showed you the way out, and he rescued you. That's what our Lord does. And you know why he did all of that? Because he cares about you so much, you know? And that's something the world doesn't know either. And that's something else that we need to tell them, right? Because here's this evil king. He probably has no clue that God still cares about him, and that's why this is happening, because he's trying to help you. He's got a guy here that, lo and behold, knows the Lord and is able to say, I know somebody who can help. <laughs> you know, we can get a hold of God here, and he can help. And it's interesting, although Jehoshaphat here, he says, is there a prophet in the area? So he's looking for a prophet. Uh, he wanted to inquire the Lord, and that's how he knew to do it. As New Testament believers... We have the Holy Spirit inside of us all the time. We were singing about that this morning. The presence of the Lord is always with us, you know. And we can directly inquire of the Lord at any time of the day or night. We don't even have to wait to see if someone in the house has the phone number of a prophet to call, you know, and then hope that prophet still just happens to have the Lord's phone number. You know, isn't it amazing that we have the Lord's number on speed dial ourselves? Isn't that amazing? You think about that? Wow. Yeah. So these passages, praise the Lord, Joseph is looking for the only avenue he knows to get to the Lord. We've got instant access, guys. It's amazing what we have for us. So verse 11, but Jehoshaphat said, is there no prophet of the Lord here that we may inquire of the Lord by him? So one of the servants of the king of Israel answered, and he said, 
Elisha, the son of Shaphat, is here, who poured water on the hands of Elijah. <laughs> so Jehoshaphat asked that great question, is there a, a prophet of the Lord here we can, we can talk to and get a hold of? And you notice it took a servant of the king to come up with an answer. <laughs> and the servant said, why, yes, Elisha the prophet is right here in this area. And he even adds, Elisha was the personal servant of the prophet Elijah. So here's this servant of the king. He names two heavy hitters of the Lord. Don't you just praise the Lord for our servants? <laughs> you know, they're good folks. And since we are servants of a much greater king ourselves, we should be like this servant who points a person to where they can go for real help. Right? This guy's a good example for us. So verse 12, Jehoshaphat said, the word of the Lord is with him. He's talking about Elisha. Once he hears Elisha the prophet is around, he says, Paul, yeah, the word of the Lord is with him. So the king of Israel and Jehoshaphat and the king of Edom went down to him. Now, right away, Jehoshaphat acknowledges that he knows that Elisha is the real deal. You know, So he says, oh, yeah, the word of the Lord is with this guy. This guy's got a great testimony. And folks, you know, you think about that. That's you and me. We have the word of the Lord with us, too. That's what we're looking at right now, right? We've got the word of the Lord right here in our hands. And because we have Jesus, that means we have the word of the Lord in our hearts, the word of God, right? I mean, that's what Jesus is. He is the word. So not only do we have it in book form that we can carry with us or even electronically on your phone or whatever you, device you use here, but we also have the word of God in our hearts. So we do have answers for people right here when they're stuck in a really bad situation. You know, we can be like a helpful prophet to them because we do have God's word about their situation. You know, and that's why we spend so much time studying God's word. So we can help people and give them the right answers. I mean, look at 2 Timothy chapter 3. A very familiar passage. I know we looked at it a number of times, and, and I'm sure you've checked this out yourself quite a few. But 2 Timothy chapter 3, talking about us studying the scriptures so we can give other people answers who need those answers. 2 Timothy 3 and verse 16 it says, all scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God, that's you and me if we're in Christ, may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. As we need to help other people, as we need to minister to them, the Lord prepares us for that by getting us into his word and training us in His the way he, he sees things and the way he does things. So as we know the Lord, we're, we're like this prophet. We've got the word of God that we can share with people. And you know, I know it's a blessing to us to study God's word together like this, but the blessing isn't just for us. We're supposed to tell others the truths that we learn so they can enjoy God's blessings too. And hopefully, they're going to come to Jesus and invite Jesus into their heart and their life too if they haven't done so already. I know that you already know these things in your heart, and I know that the Holy Spirit is confirming that truth to you right now as well. So be encouraged. You have the keys to offering real help to people that the Lord will bring in your life. 
you know, I remember the guy that I met in the hospital that uh, I was, I had a chance to go up and see him and uh, he was a believer, but he was really down in the dumps because he was in one of these places that believed if you have faith, you'll never be sick. And here he is in the hospital looking at surgery the next day. So the Lord had allowed me the opportunity, a great opportunity to go up and meet this guy and talk with him. And when he started telling me why he was such a bad guy, his pastor wouldn't even come visit him because he was sick in the hospital. I was able to say, well, here's what the Lord says, you know, and able to open up and show him that Jesus took our, our illnesses for us, but he healed us so we could be saved. That's the point of Jesus coming to help us, not to throw our faith in our face and say, if you've got faith, you're going to be healed, and if not, then it's on you. Jesus is not like that. So I was able to show him in the, the Bible God's answer to what he needed to hear, and it brought comfort to him, you know. And praise the Lord, that's exactly what we're supposed to do. We have the answers to help people that need to hear them, even young believers who don't know. You know, they don't know the Lord long enough to have some of those answers. And if you notice here in our passage, again in 2 Kings, <clears throat> excuse me, at the end of verse 12, it says here that the, the king of Israel, Jehoshaphat, and the king of Edom, they went down to Elisha. So these kings didn't send for Elisha to come to them. No, they went down to see him in person themselves. Thank the Lord that they had the wisdom to go where they could get some real help and some real answers. That's a good thing to see. And you know, it's interesting, too, if you think about it, that Elisha would be close by to that particular area because that's not normally where he was located. So the speculation is that the Lord had directed him to go to that area for some reason, so he was available to help them at this exact time, okay? And that being true, then somehow the Lord allowed the servant of the king to know about him being there, right? <laughs> Don't you love it when you stop to think about it, how many things the Lord had to set up in order to make something like this happen? And if we could see all the buttons that had to be pushed and the amazing timing on each one, you know, we would truly be amazed. And some people would say, wow, that sure was an unbelievable number of lucky coincidences that just happened all to come together at the same time for this to happen, you know. And we can answer and say, ha, that's not a coincidence, that's our God. And he's left his fingerprints all over the place because these things just don't accidentally all happen at once. Our God plans and he designs them to happen just that way. Isn't our God awesome? Love to see it when the Lord does that stuff. So go on to verse 13. Then Elisha said to the king of Israel. So here's Elisha the prophet, and he sees the group of kings, and one particular stands out to him, the king of the northern kingdom of Israel here, evil guy. Elisha says to him, what have I to do with you? Go to the prophets of your father and the prophets of your mother. <laughs> I think Elisha says this out of disgust and frustration. It's like, why don't you cry out to your gods when you're in dire straits like this? <laughs> and obviously the answer is because they're useless. They can't help you because they're false gods. So the logical question would be, then why do you continue to hold on to them when there's a real God that you can go to for real help? And you know, that's our question to our, our lost loved ones and people that we care about when they're stuck in a false religious system or when they become their own God, and, and all they keep finding are dead ends when they really need help, you know? 
there's a true God who cares about them and who's just waiting with open arms to receive them if they'll come to him for help and for acceptance. Don't you wish that people could just see that? And I know you do. I know you're thinking, man, that's so true. And God's there. Why don't people just see that? Go on to verse 13. As he's rebuked the northern, the king of the northern kingdom here, says, but the king of Israel said to him, <laughs> no, for the Lord has called these three kings together to deliver them into the hand of Moab. <laughs> Isn't it amazing that the true answer is right in front of him? <laughs> but rather than humble himself and admit that he needs the Lord and that he should be leading his kingdom to this true God so they can find help too, he'd rather stick with his dead-end sign that says that he carries around with him and says there's no hope, <laughs> nowhere to turn, you know. So he doesn't get the truth here, that his answer he really needs is right there in front of him, you know, because he doesn't want to get it. He'd rather stay in the rut that he's in rather than humbly accept the help that's right in front of him that could easily help him out of his rut. The foolishness of man, how sad. So go on in verse uh, 14 here. And Elisha said, as the Lord of hosts lives before whom I stand, notice that, surely were it not that I regard the presence of Jehoshaphat, king of Judah, I would not look at you nor see you. Now, here's a beautiful statement from Elijah, the first thing he said. Even though he's in the wilderness of Moab, right at this moment, in the middle of nowhere, he sees himself as standing in the presence of the Lord. You know, I like what, he said, what somebody said about this. He was current in his relationship with the Lord. <laughs> so he's able to say, as I stand in the presence of the Lord, I got a message for you. <laughs> okay. And you know, you and I can have that experience too, no matter where we're standing at the moment. We're always standing in the presence of the Lord. Didn't Jesus say that he would never leave us nor forsake us? Then we're always in his presence. Isn't that true? So look at verse 14 again as it goes further here. <laughs> Elisha said, as the Lord of hosts live before whom I stand, surely were it not that I regard the presence of Jehoshaphat, king of Judah, I would not look at you nor see you. So he said, I'm here to help Jehoshaphat. I didn't come really to help you, but he's there, so he's going to benefit from this. And in verse 15, but now bring me a musician. Then it happened when the musician played that the hand of the Lord came upon him. So notice a couple things here. Notice that although Jehoshaphat had made these mistakes himself, you know, about acting first and then praying later instead of praying first, he keeps finding himself in a bad situation every time he does that. And even though he's got those flaws in his life, the Lord still responds to him in love. He still sent Elijah there to help him. Isn't that amazing? Aren't you glad that the Lord loves us despite ourselves? <laughs> we do. We, if you look in the mirror like I do and say, Lord, thank you so much that you love me anyway. You know, I think the enemy works on us pretty big in that area too. He's usually pointing a finger whispering, man, you blew it again. God's done with you. Man, he doesn't care what you're doing. And how do you like Elijah's response here of saying, Bring me a musician. <laughs> Wait a minute, we're, we're in the wilderness. We need water really bad, man. We're really thirsty. We need a water machine. That's what we need. Bring me a musician. Wow. 
okay? So with all the lives that are at stake here in the wilderness, because they have no water, and that could possibly be the end of them at all. I mean, you can't live a long time without water, right? This whole body dries up pretty quick here. So it's like Elijah says, we could use a worship leader right now. How about you bring me a musician? <laughs> I love the unexpected answer of the Lord here, of saying they needed a musician. And isn't it amazing how the Lord can use music in the words of a Christian songwriter to just speak to our heart at times, you know, when we really need the Lord's comfort and we really need the Lord's guidance in a situation. I know you probably found it as I have, that you're listening to music and all of a sudden it's just like the Lord's speaking right to you. Yeah. What a blessing, too, for us that we can so easily hear Christian music in our day and age, huh? Not only the Christian music on the radio, but also online. That's available 24-7. Now that's something that we can praise the Lord for. If you're thinking, I don't know what to praise the Lord for today, thank Him that we are blessed, that we can praise Him at any time and find some good music to help us worship if we need to, right? It's available. So Elisha here, he wanted music, and apparently it was to quiet his spirit down and let him hear from the Lord, because that's what happened. After the music started, he all of a sudden is now able to hear from the Lord. And that's, what's, that's what true praise music does. Think about that. It quiets our spirit down, and it prepares us to hear from the Lord. You know, I heard when somebody say it this way, and I thought, how beautiful that is. That's why the, the music, you know, we have worship first, and then we have the Word, and uh, it's, it's amazing. As we open our hearts to worship the Lord, He opens our hearts even, even further so we can hear from Him. Isn't that cool? So don't neglect worshiping the Lord. You know, some people think, oh, well, let's get past that so we can get to the Word. It's like, whoa, wait a minute. You're, you're, you're missing what God's trying to do. As we worship Him, the Lord gives us a blessing in return. Isn't that amazing? God didn't have to do that. He could have been a vacuum and just said, give me that praise and worship and suck it all up. But instead, it's more like a mirror, and He lets blessing come back our way. What, a, what an awesome God we serve. So verse 16 goes on, and he said this, this is Elijah still talking. Thus says the Lord, make this valley full of ditches. Okay, this ditches means water canals. Now, this is an amazing plan that the Lord has, and it's going to require faith on their part because when you're in the wilderness and there's no water and then you're told to dig these water ditches to help hold all the water that's coming, you know, <laughs> and it's, it's going to require some faith. Because you're thinking, why do we need water ditches? We have no water, right? And whenever God allows us to participate in a miracle, our part is always going to require us to step out in faith. You know, you think about Noah building that ark for a hundred years or longer when there was no rain that had ever fallen from the skies at that time. Yes, that, that took faith to keep going. And, you know, you and I are, are being called out to step out in faith like that, too. And it's okay. It's a good thing. Because on the other side of that, there's always a testimony. I mean, you think about that. Look at Noah's testimony. The rain came. The flood came. God rescued the righteous, the faithful ones, just like he said he would do. And that's his testimony. So I know it's scary sometimes to, to step out in faith. But be encouraged that there's a testimony on the other side waiting for you, if you do that, okay? You, and look at the answers to prayer that we've seen. We prayed and we trusted the Lord and he answered. Now 
we have testimonies of those answered prayers. Isn't that something? I mean, I'm one of those testimonies for the, the prayers that you all prayed for me, and I thank you for doing that. And, you know, feel free to use that as one of your testimonies. You can say, we prayed for our pastor, and the Lord miraculously brought him through a seemingly impossible situation, and the doctors are still scratching their heads over that one, right? So there is a testimony that if you prayed about that, that's part of your testimony too. You can use that. Verse 17, for thus says the Lord, you shall not see wind, nor shall you see rain. <laughs> I want you to dig these ditches, but by the way, you're not going to see anything here. Yet that valley shall be filled with water so that you, your cattle, and your animals may drink. <laughs> you know, the Lord says, you're not going to see it happen, but it's going to happen. Okay? Man, you talk about walking by faith and not by sight. And that's what the Lord calls us to do, right? <clears throat> so the Lord's going to bring water to them, but it wasn't going to be raining in their area. He's going to supernaturally provide it from a different area, and then he's going to bring it to them, okay? And guys, when the Lord leads us to step out in faith, and it has to be his leading, by the way, not some whim that we come up with. But if he leads us and we start to step out, don't worry if you don't see anything happen right away. If God's leading, then he is working, and usually he's working behind the scenes. And he is going to make it happen in such a way that no one can take credit for it except the Lord. So all credit, praise, and honor is going to go to him because he alone deserves it. So the Lord was going to completely provide for these folks here, and they would be completely satisfied by the miraculous and loving provision God had for them. And when we trust God enough to follow him when he leads us, he will completely satisfy our needs. Isn't our God awesome? And look what he says in verse 18. We're going to stop in just a little bit here because our time shot past us here. Verse 18, this is a simple matter in the sight of the Lord. He said, this is no problem for God. He will also deliver the Moabites into your hand. Too easy. <laughs> God has no problem in meeting our needs. He doesn't sweat it. He doesn't even lose sleep over it. And he doesn't need sleep anyway, right? But you know what I mean. I mean, it's no problem for the Lord. And, and just as easy as it was for the Lord to bring them water, he said it's going to be that easy to give you the victory over Moab by the hand of the Lord, not by your own power. But God's going to drop this in your lap. And that's something. We'll stop with verse 19. Also, you shall attack every fortified city and every choice city, and you shall cut down every tree and stop up every spring of water and ruin every good piece of land with stones. Now, at the moment they're hearing this, I imagine King Jehoram's like, I don't believe that stuff, because he has no hope, right? But the Lord is saying, not only are you going to have the strength and power to attack these guys, you're going to deal with them in a very aggressive way. Now, if you were there and you're really thirsty and thinking, I'm getting pretty weak, I need water, you'd probably have a little doubt too and say, man, I don't know, Lord, is this really going to work? I mean, you're telling me I'm not going to have just the strength to get there, but I'm going to the strength, I'm gonna have the strength from you to just wipe out their place for a while. So think about this. Because Moab came against God's people, the Lord is going to take their prosperity away, and he's going to set Send them back a number of years before they see prosperity again, if ever. 
I mean, you look at the stuff the Lord is saying, tear this down, tear that down, stop this up. It's like everything they had going for them comes to a halt. <laughs> and those trees are going to take time to grow back. They don't just come back overnight, right? So the Lord is setting them back a number of years because of what they did. Now, don't forget what the Lord promised Abraham. I will bless those who bless you, but I will curse those who curse you. And the Lord wasn't kidding then or now. So everyone needs to be careful how they treat Israel, whether Israel is walking with the Lord at the moment or not. I mean, right here, they weren't being faithful to the Lord back then, but the Lord still had his hand in protection over them because he has plans for them down the road. <laughs> That's why the Lord has never completely wiped them out. At this point, he's got a Messiah he's going to bring through them. And guess what down the road? He's going to send a Messiah back for them, right? So God will never wipe them out. He still has plans for them down the road. You know, and don't listen to anybody who tells you differently. Just read the Bible yourself and see what the Lord tells you because it's right there in his word, okay? We'll stop at this point. Sorry for going a few minutes over here. Let's pray. Fathers, you show us these lessons here about how you can send a prophet in the, the most horrible situations, mistakes that we make ourselves, and you can still send help. And we're so grateful, Lord. Thank you for the times that rescue us. You rescued us, Lord. If, if there are folks here today who say, man, I remember a time I was in that place. I was in the wilderness, and Lord, you came to me. You sent help, and I didn't deserve it, but praise you, Lord. You, you helped me. Lord, I, I just thank you. I'm going to give you praise for that, too. And Lord, as we, we think about our, our loved ones who don't have hope, Lord, if they don't know you, oh Lord, please continue to go after them. Please let that light shine very brightly through us and let it chase away the darkness that is in them that they might want to have that hope and that light that's in Jesus. And Lord, we thank you for using us. Thank you for uh, being with us every day, every moment. And we just give you the praise for that. We thank you for all these things in Jesus' precious name. Amen.